Now you're messing with a son of a bitch. Now you're messing with the son of a bitch. Welcome to the Shields Outdoors podcast, your source for information on hunting, fishing, and all of your outdoor passions. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Shields Outdoors podcast. My name is Mike Anderson, here with my co-host, Ashley Sorensen. Ashley, how you doing on this I'm fine day? Doing so great. So great. So great. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> how are you? I'm, I'm doing good. You know, I just found out that I'm going to go fishing this afternoon. Yeah. So my excitement level has just Through the rough. immediately bumped up. So, yeah, going <laughs> with one of, my, one of my buddies from downstairs in the e-commerce department. Well, first of all, he was he was having some glitches with his uh, his electronics. He's got a new setup, and he's asking me for an SD card. He's like, oh, who in this building has an SD card, like a micro one? And it's like, oh, talk to Mike. It's like, yeah, he's a social media guy. He's got to have an SD card. <laughs> and I had one the right size. I uh, just so happened to have a SpyPoint Flex cellular camera in my, in my truck, so pull that one out and we're good to go. And then that turned into me getting a fishing invite. Awesome. Yes. That'd be fun. Yeah, absolutely. And you were just at a, at an event, event like TEDx. TEDx. Yep. TEDx. TEDx Fargo. Yes. So, um, so I'm very inspired also. Inspired. Perfect. And, and we we have the perfect guest for that too, because we've got ourselves a little bit of an entrepreneur, got ourselves a, a podcast host, a bunch of different stuff. He's a very interesting guest. And, uh, his name is George Blitch with the Son of a Blitch podcast. Love the name. Uh, <laughs> George, you, George, how you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Really excited to, uh, you know, be here with you guys. It's awesome. Mm-hmm, absolutely. So we actually, uh, we did sort of a collaboration here. So you graciously invited me to be on on one of your podcast segments. And, you know, I like to talk, so I was not one to say no. So that was. I heard it was a really long one. I know. George, well, George goes to me. He's like, "Yeah, we we like to do our sessions. You know, maybe around an hour or so, hour and fifteen, depending on the, depending on the conversation flow." And you know, I I finished up and I looked at the clock and it was like two and a half hours after when we started. And I was like, "Oh, oh man, I can't believe you didn't just cut me off." So I don't know how long it's actually going to be, but it was a good conversation. Yeah, I think it'll probably be close to that time. You know, we did a little pre-chat beforehand before we hit record. So I think it clocked in a little over two hours. But then we have like the mountain lion part two stories. So that, that's just like segment one of, you know, we're going to have to come back and finish that up. So, you know, yeah. we may have a trilogy by the time we're done. You never know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, whoever's wa- are listening to this one or watching it on our YouTube platform, I, I strongly suggest going to, going to check out his podcast. Tell us a little bit about it, like how it got started and, uh, and so, some of your, uh, guests, the ones you're going to, you've had on and are planning on having. Sure thing. So it kind of started out, you know, about a year and a half ago. Um, roughly I had this idea to kind of start interviewing some people. I had, in a past, uh, you know, life, in a past job, I had traveled around the world interviewing indigenous elders, um, capturing their words, messages, uh, anything that they wanted to share. 
and putting them together in what we called at the time living books. And this is like 2001. So, you know, the dawn of the ebook was upon us, but we had like a website where you could go and you would have an interview, you'd have photographs, you'd have videos, uh, maybe artwork, you know, you know, writings, whatever it may be. And you could do some interactive stuff. And we kind of traveled around uh, as a group called Dream Keepers. And uh, the guy that I was working with primarily was a guy named Harvey Arden. He was at National Geographic for 25 years. He was a best-selling author. And he kind of took me underneath his wing. And we would travel around and interview everybody. Well, that was the time where you'd have to, you know, I'd, I'd be in charge of the multimedia. So I'd have a camera, microphone, I'd have a mixer, everything going on. And when it kind of dawned on me, you know, through the, the pandemic, when everyone's having like Zoom meetings and everything, I was like, man, this is a really easy way to reach out and interview people. Um, and a lot of people love the comfort of their own homes or their business and being able to have an interview in that facet. I decided to kind of reach out to some people that I really wanted to have some interviews with and talk to them about whatever they were doing. And kind of before I was, you know, I had heard someone once say, you know, be a conduit, not a catcher's mitt. You know, if you have something you get from someone, make sure that you're spreading that out there and sharing their message as long as it's a good message and, you know, <laughs> get that out there. And so I kind of felt like this is a really good way for me to amplify and shine some light on some really amazing projects, amazing people I've met, you know, and we may get into it, but I've, I've kind of lived a few different careers. I was a traveling musician for a while. And so all these people that I met along the way and some of the work that I've done, the books that I've worked on, I just kind of was like, I need to revisit this idea of interviewing and I can do it from the comfort of my home or business, you know? And so, uh, started interviewing a lot of people. I have a real love for the outdoors. Uh, I have a couple ranches here in Texas, uh, one that I own, one that I help manage. Um, and so there was a lot of people that I've met through that and through kind of, you know, outdoor stewardship and conservation. So I, I started reaching out to some people. Um, and one of the first was a guy named KJ Saka, who is the drummer for a band called Pendulum. He also works with the Destroyed and, uh, the private language, which is with uh, Blake Lewis, a beatboxer that was on American Idol. And so, you know, KJ Sock and I are friends. We used to tour around a, a lot and kind of play some shows together. And so I reached out to him and then reached out to a former federal federal judge who works with a guy named Leonard Peltier, who's a Native American political prisoner, been incarcerated for about 48 years now. Um, and so there was like just kind of snowballed. And then I worked with a guy named Doug Duran, uh, who runs Sharing the Land, uh, there's his hat there. And uh, he works with landowners and land users. Uh, basically, if someone wants to you know, land access seeker, they want to come out and work on, you know, maybe a property in exchange for hunting or fishing or camping. It's this collaborative group to come together. And then uh, my company, Map My Ranch, makes maps for the landowners. So, yeah, we, we it just kind of started snowballing. And, you know, just yesterday, I interviewed uh, Jesse Griffiths, who is a uh, you know world-renowned chef. He has a few books that are above me, uh, The Hog Book and A Field, two of my favorite cookbooks. And so, yeah, we kind of do a wild game series every fall. My buddy Matthew and Mitch Matthew Mitchell and I kind of interview those collectively, all these chefs. So we've got a few more coming up. Hank Shaw, um, uh, let's see, Jean-Paul Bourgeois, uh, Lance Lewis, Tagged Out Kitchen, and just kind of putting together their their stories and you know there's been a myriad of hosts and there's a ton more coming up but I kind of have you know different interests and so it's not just one focused podcast that's kind of why I took the name the son of a blitch podcast because it's I'm kind of everywhere all the time and so it kind of felt like instead of just having something that was narrowly focused you know I could have a lot of my loves and passions that I can talk about and kind of all under one umbrella so that's 
the long-winded version of how that came to be. <laughs> That's awesome. I love it. It's very cool. Yeah. You have you have probably the most catchy podcast name. <laughs> I just give you kudos to that. Just owning it, you know. Man, you son of a blitch. Like it's just awesome. I love it. I had to do something with it. I thought maybe, you know, at first I was like, maybe it's a little bit too edgy, you know? If it's like when I reached out to like the, you know, Judge Kevin Sharp, I was like, here's this federal judge who's, you know, been on all these important cases. I was like, yeah, it's uh, called the Son of a Blitch Podcast. He's like, what's that? Like, Son of a Blitch Podcast. He's like, I love it. And I was like, okay, cool. That that passes that. That's <laughs> well, that it's you. It's, you know. it's your your name also, you know, so. It is. It yeah. is. I've been one all my life. So it's kind of, you know, <laughs> I'm up to it, right? Yeah. You, you're toting that fine line, but I think you're on the right side of it. So. Cheers. Thank you. <laughs> so I love that you even do. So you, you do hunt. Mm-hmm. And then yes. you also share the cooking too. So are you yeah. guys doing like, I'm trying to envision this. Are you doing like a cooking podcast? So right now, the, the thing that we've did like last fall, Matthew Mitchell and I interviewed uh, about three or four chefs. And so we talked to them a lot about, and we, we air it during hunting season. And so we're talking a lot about like tips and tricks, you know, things you can do maybe, you know, leading up to the hunt or maybe once the animals in the ground, like, uh, you know, Jesse Griffiths and I were talking yesterday. He always says, you know, cool and dry, but like not wet. Like a lot of people throw their meat onto ice to keep it cold. Well, as soon as that ice touches that meat and that moisture comes in, there's a lot of things that it starts. And so we talked about little tips like taking contractor bags or maybe using those frozen block ices you get from like Yeti Arctic or all the different companies and maybe putting, you know, a cardboard layer or something there. So it doesn't touch the meat directly, but it'll keep everything cooled like a refrigerated unit. And so things like that. And then maybe what you, you know, how long to break things down, how long to keep it, you know, cold before you, you're processing it and things too. And so, a lot of these chefs have, you know, amazing, amazing recipes. So um, we'll go ahead and, and, you know, maybe have them share certain ones there. Hey, we have, you know, venison heart. What do you guys suggest we do with this? And so a lot of times it's kind of a little bit of self-interest. Like, you yeah. know, Matthew and I will have a bunch of things in our freezer and like, hey, we got these quail and we, you know, what do you suggest? You know, hey, you're an award-winning chef. You, you tell us. And so it kind of just depends. But a lot of times it's those those kind of 101 or 102 kind of intro things is I'm trying to, you know, give that information out to people who may be, you know, beginner, beginners or, you know, wanting to get into it or people who are, you know, a lot of people hunt and they take their stuff to a processor and that's fine. But some people really want to maybe take that next step and being able to have that interaction with, you know, a really great, you know, wild game chef is important. And then on the flip side, Matthew and I this fall are uh, putting together a showcase called bdt cooks he and i are, have the same birthday so we're birthday twins bdt <laughs> and uh you know go with what you got yeah, right? so, yeah. both, you know. so um we love a good acronym yeah. too oh absolutely <laughs> there's so many acronyms here at shields it's ridiculous like when yeah. you when you first uh get hired like we do these acronym tests i mean it's not like a pass fail thing but um just it's crazy i mean i bet there's a hundred different acronyms that that I've at heard least, of here at, at Shields, least, yeah. at least. And like you get into meetings, especially if you're new and they throw out like three, four, five, six of them during the meeting and you, and you just sit there and nod like every once in a while you'll know one. But I know like when I first started, there's like seven of them that I had no idea what was going on and I just <laughs> sat there. And at the end of the meeting, I found somebody that like I knew fairly well and was like, what does all this mean? <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. But, so um, you're, you're BDT. 
Yeah, so BDT Cooks, we'll be doing some filming. So a lot of times what we'll do is we'll take some of our, you know, some of our favorite wild game chefs, we'll take a recipe, and then we'll, we're going to go and film things out in the field. So as we're hunting on one of the ranches uh, or, you know, any public property or wherever it may be that we're going to be going, we're going to go ahead and be filming it because I used to be a videographer as well, so I kind of have a little back end on that. So we'll set up things and film it. And then, you know, basically from field to table, we'll walk through the steps, show you the butchering, and then we're going to go through the recipe and we're not necessarily doing our own stuff. Um, every now and then we might, you know, do a little tweak or something like that. Um, but we're basically going to show you, Hey, this is maybe, you know, Jesse Griffith's, you know, smothered chop recipe from a field and here's how we do it. And then here is the final result. And, you know, then we'll kind of, you know, share what we might do next time. Uh, you know, if, if there is anything that we wanted to tweak or, or whatever else, but, yeah, that's kind of a, a thing that we're just launching this fall, and it kind of is inspired because we have a lot of friends in that industry that are just, you know, lights out chefs. So it's kind of a, a way for us to, you know, kind of give a little nod to them and get some good food for, our, you know, our, our families and stuff, too. Awesome. Yeah, and Very sharing their nice. stories. I love that. Yeah, I love that whole field-to-table concept. You know, like there's, you know, people that get into hunting for the adventure, and there's people that get into hunting for feeding the family. And, um you know, it's just, it's a great way to like kind of really get people into it that want to like cook wild game and have an interest in that sort of thing. Not necessarily interest in the hunt, but the, you know, the experience afterwards and the reaping the benefits. And, you know, that conversation reminded me of something. Have you heard of, uh, have you ever heard of Kula Buck? I'm not sure if I have. Okay. They make an outdoor refrigeration system that you need to look into. Um, basically it's like, it's a, it's a cooler system where it packs down super easy. Um, you know, like not a lot of space and then it, it kind of folds out almost like a, like an outdoor shower if you've seen those, but it turns into like a full refrigeration system. So I had, yeah, I had, uh, Brad, the owner creator of, of Kula Buck on a podcast. So you're going to have to check that one out, hear all about it. And uh, yeah. it's just, it's a super cool system, especially for people that do like backcountry hunts and want to like, say like they sh- you shoot an elk and you want to take care of it. You know, like you got all this meat and you don't want any of it to spoil. And uh, it's a, it's a super cool system. We also have like their game bags. There's like these antimicrobial bags. So it's like you hear about, you know, you shoot an animal, you only have like a one, two hour window to like get everything taken care of. But these bags, they, 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 turn that like one two hour window into like a five six hour window for you to like get it cooled down and preserve all the meat wow. that's so, brilliant yeah yeah definitely check it out so um you know as a now that we're on the hunting topic like i remember seeing some pictures from you about these hunting properties and you had a you had a shields hat and sent it to me you're repping repping shields and some of your future videos so like what did you what did you have going on there uh, and that one, basically, um, I was doing some shooting at, at a range at the, at the ranch there. Um, we had a new tripod from Spartan Precision Equipment, um, Rob Gearing. He does some work with Meat Eater. He's been on some of their podcasts and stuff, too. And uh, he is out in England and makes these really, really amazing tripods. They're super lightweight. Um, he kind of came in from the aeronautical industry. And so I interviewed him, talked to him about, you know, what he's producing. He has a thing called the Haviland bipod, which is like a detachable bipod. 
um, which is just a, a really great, uh, you know, piece of equipment. And so he sent me the uh, tripod and I was basically uh, just going ahead and I was doing a 300 yard cold war shot with my rifle and, uh, you know, I had to have my lucky shields hat on to do it. Right. And be able oh, to hit that bullseye. That's what took me into the edge to be able to hit center, you know, center punch that bullseye. But we were kind of working all around the ranch that day. Um, we have a few hundred acres in central Texas. Uh, my wife and I, uh, my wife, Meg, and our, our daughters. And so uh, a couple of my friends and I go up there and do a lot of work. There's somebody who stays there and kind of does the day-to-day stuff, but we're kind of doing the heavy lifting when we get out there. And so we went out and we're just kind of clearing a bunch of trees that were down and everything too. And so, you know, I need that extra, extra, you know, strength. And so that shields hat, man, it's like, it's like a superpower. So now, you know, it sits over here yeah. and helps me out and podcasts, keep my mind right. So yeah, yes. it's uh, I got that actually when uh, I went to go meet Steve Ranella up at uh, Shields at the Colony. That's the Shields uh, Texas hat there. And um, so I was chatting with some of the guys that were, were kind of putting that on and he came around and he's like, here, you want one? I was like, absolutely. So uh, my buddy Matthew and I got one of those and got to say hello to Ranella. And so he and I had been in communication for a couple of years now, but hadn't had any face-to-face because he's uh, busier than anyone else I, I know on the planet. And so we drove up there to say a quick hello and got to check out the store. And man, that store is absolutely amazing it's the first time i'd walked into a shields and i was blown away you know as i as i told mike uh, you know they require your passport from go to one side to the other it's so large <laughs> and uh but i got the stamp right. both yeah. Notes. yeah can't can't <laughs> confirm visited that store once and it is just Huge. gigantic yeah. yeah i i almost had to like have my phone out and be looking at Google Maps to figure <laughs> yeah. out navigation. Yeah, I had my Onyx out, man. I was I <laughs> yeah. got lost a couple times. You, you got to mark the way. fishing section and the yeah. and the hunting section. Hey, maybe this is a new thing. Map my shields. Ooh, there, there we, we go. go. There we go. George, I'll so put you on that. Purchase that yeah. real quick. We yeah. got this. We're gonna do this up. All right. There's an. I need. I need another business to work with. So that's great. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. That was amazing. And they, man, you guys had like is like a mountain with some of the best taxidermy collection I've ever seen. I mean, when you have an airplane hanging from the ceiling, you know you're in a very large place. It's uh, <laughs> that place was amazing. But man, candy stores. You can get your dinner there. I even asked the guys like, has anyone like tried to sneak into a tent and stay overnight he's like actually there are some influencers who have done that so i don't know if it was at that store but apparently that that has been done or has been tried i don't recommend it necessarily uh, mm-hmm. and i'm sure there's some security <laughs> folks that don't like that but it seemed like you could probably survive there if you needed to for yeah. quite a long time or at least ask for permission first please i think, I think <laughs> that's what happened yeah yeah yes i'm sure someone yes. did but yeah he was just like yeah i don't know the story about it but yeah <laughs> it's been done it's look YouTube. it up on youtube yeah. you can find it Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. I will. There you go. <laughs> Overnight and shields. It'll show yeah. up. Awesome. That yeah. I awesome. can't remember. I can't remember the name of the influencer that did it, but yeah, pretty entertaining video by the way. Yeah. I can mm-hmm. imagine. Well, that place was, it was phenomenal, man. I mean, your stores are, are, are top notch. Um, some of the best, I love how you can get in there and you can test that equipment and everything too. There's a lot of outdoor stores and you know, not knocking any of them, throwing them underneath the bus, but there's a bunch of different ones I've been out here, but you can kind of see stuff, but you can't try it out. You can't really have a resident expert walk you through it. And I felt like that was something that really differentiated, differentiated shields from a lot of other places I've been to before. And so I was thoroughly impressed. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. Yeah. Appreciate that. Appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. So, uh, let's, let's talk a little bit about this map, my ranch. So, uh, give us the, give us the lowdown on it, how it started and, uh, and where you're at right now with it. 
Right on. Well, I guess it's about maybe 16 years ago, maybe 17 at this point in time. Uh, one of my best friends, Colin Williams, and I were out at my ranch in Central Texas. And at the time, he had this GPS unit. It was like $5,000. I'm sure it's like probably you can get it on eBay for 50 cents now. But at the time, it was the latest and greatest. And um, we were going around and marking different you know, feeders and, and different lookouts and different game trail cameras and stuff to be able to then make a big printed map of the ranch that we could throw on the wall or kind of at our office or have something that we can, you know, fold out in, in the truck or whatever when we're driving around. And uh, we ended up producing this map and we showed it to one of my friends. He's like, man, that's awesome. You should map my ranch. Showed it to another friend. Said, man, you should map my ranch. After about a half dozen of you should map my ranches, Colin and I decided maybe we should kind of do this. And, you know, we have our own day jobs. And so it was something that we just kind of started on the side and every year it's kind of doubled in business. And now it's just, it's, it's about to be hunting season. So I think we had, you know, like five different calls for new maps yesterday. It's been thoroughly busy and uh, he and I, you know, mainly operated. We have a couple friends that help us out when we get really into busy season. But what we do is we take, a property that maybe if you own it or you lease it or even public land. I mean, we, we also do lakes and rivers. So, you know, it, whatever it is you want mapped a vineyard, we've, we've kind of done commercial stuff too, anything, but if you want something printed out, uh, let's just take a, a ranch here in Texas, for example, you want to get a boundary of it. We'll, we'll go ahead and find the best aerial image that is available. We've got a bunch of different groups that we subscribe to. And so we find the latest and greatest imagery, highest resolution, uh, overlay the boundary and then if they want to have custom things on it, you know, maybe water troughs or uh, game trail cameras or, you know, maybe there's a hog trap or whatever it is they want to go ahead and put down. Uh, we have a partnership with Onyx now. And so if you order a map from us, you get a free Onyx membership, uh, an elite membership for three months. Uh, the user will go ahead and plug in what they want uh, mapped and then they'll send us that file. Uh, we'll, we'll grab that data and overlay it on the map and then kind of send it back to them with customized icons and labels. And we kind of do three different types of prints. Now we have, um, kind of the, the, the one that I recommend the most is called a weatherproof. It's like a Tyvek type material. It's really thin. It's a matte finish. So it looks really great on the wall. I keep a two by three foot folded up in my back pocket when I'm walking around the ranch, you can sit down. You don't even feel it. It's super thin, water resistant, tear resistant, uh, really, really great. Um, and then we have vinyl, which is great for outdoor. A lot of people, I mean, we can do those the size of like a billboard. So if you have a really big ranch and you want something massive, uh, that's that's the, a good one to have. I'm sure Texas has uh, a lot of that. There is. We've had some, <laughs> the, you know, a couple hundred thousand acre ranches. And it's like you kind of, it's if you, if you if someone wants something that's like small, it's like you can't even tell what, you know, you have to have a big map to be able to really kind of showcase what's there. Um, and then we have another one that's laminated. It's like a scribe laminate. So you can use dry erase markers or chalk markers or stickers on it. And so a lot of people use that kind of like utility wise. Hey, someone's going to go over here. Or we need you to go, you know, cut hay here or whatever it, you know, that you're trying to, you know, be able to help people get organized in, in, in their ranches or their farms or whatever. And then uh, we have a, a, a partnership with a cooler company where if you buy a cooler with us, then you get a printed out sticker it's like a uv resistant sticker on the top so we have cooler maps um and then we have some that are smaller we're calling them place maps you know if you want to have them on on your on your table while you're eating you know looking at where you're gonna go but uh yeah we kind of do a little bit for for you know I mean, we've been we i think we've done every state now we've done a map in every state 
Canada, Mexico, and then a handful of other countries. So uh, in that, the big thing that, that separates us is, you know, some people can go into, you know, Google and they can get a satellite image, but it's not going to print out large and very good quality. So whenever you come to us, we have aerial imagery, which usually allows you to get a higher definition image. Uh, we also have some pilots and different companies that will fly. So if somebody wants something of their place tomorrow, and they've just done a big project over there, you know, some new, you know, ponds or whatever they've dug out, you know, new clearing, new field plots, and they want to have an overhead image of that that they've just finished, we can, you know, schedule that out usually within 10 days. And, you know, it's a little more premier pricing on that, but we try to make it really affordable because just like how we started out, we just wanted something to hang out at the ranch that we can all look at. And, uh, you know, we've, we've, you know, costs have come up on prints and stuff too, but we we're very, very competitive and, uh, you know, we're one of the leaders in the industry, um, in the country for that. And I, you know, I think part of that is that accessibility will, will make sure we, you get exactly what you want and it's affordable as well. So it's just something that, you know, it's kind of a side thing that kind of kept growing and uh, Colin and I love doing it and it's, uh, it's fun. I, I mean, I get to talk shop with, you know, hunters and anglers and, and kind of right in that outdoor space that I'd love to be a part of. So it's, it's been a, a, a fun side project as it is, but now it's, you know, grown to a much larger level and sharing the land, you know, working with those guys and Doug Duran and uh, that that's been just a joy too, because we get to meet people all over who are doing things to really enhance conservation and wildlife on private lands. You know, there's a big push for public lands to do that too, but really trying to incentivize people in that, that private sector to do stuff, to leave their land better for future generations, improve the habitat and the wildlife. And, you know, that's something that that's, that's, you know, near and dear to my heart as well. Mm -hmm. That's very cool. And, you know, I can, uh, I can attest to the benefit of having stuff printed out too. Like I'm a big Onyx guy. Love that. Like just <laughs> when you're out hunting, like being able to know exactly where the boundaries are and things like that. But there's oftentimes like Colorado elk hunting, for example, like I have a, I have a big map printed out of a bunch of public land that we'd hunt in Colorado and it's just, it's super nice to just see it all at the same time. Because like on X, you can, you, you just see a little chunk. And when you zoom way out, you, there, there's just no definition. You can't really develop an understanding of how all these draws connect, how everything works together. It's like, okay, I know where a water hole's at, but it's like, where are they all actually coming from? Where are they going to be going? What are they going to be doing? And being able to have just everything spread apart to be able to truly dissect that is is super beneficial sure sure yeah i mean there's only so much you can do on a screen and you know with onyx you can get it on your desktop too but you're not taking that into the field with you so if you want to have something accessible you know and you know that's portable that a printed map and that's you know it, it's kind of it's one of those things where you're like man i wonder if that's going to be you know it kind of a, a business that people are going to, you know, really want, but that is a need that so many people have and being able to pull something out and have it in a larger format. It's uh, it's kind of a niche that, you know, it, it, there's not a lot of printed map companies out there. There are some there too, but, you know, I think so many people move to the digital space, but, you know, we have a lot of folks come to us, you know, like I said, every day who are wanting to get something printed out. And there's a reason for that. It's something cool about being able to have that or throw it on the front of your truck or just, you know, looking at that draw and figuring out like you're saying too. So yeah, there's, it's a, it, there's benefits of both. I mean, you know, we, we use, we use the printed and we use the digital. And speaking mm -hmm. of like printing things, now you're also in publishing. Yes. Are you, yes. Are you still I, doing uh, that? Sorry. Are you still doing that? 
Exactly. I am. Um, I'm, I'm currently working on a book right now. Um, it's about a gentleman named Bob Lemons. Uh, he was born in the mid 1800s and, and passed away uh, a day shy of his 100th birthday. And um, he was born into slavery. And at 17, he was freed from slavery and he started working with a local rancher. Um, he didn't have a last name. Um, and then he worked with the Lemons Ranch and um, they took a variation of the spelling, but um, he ended up being Lemons, L-E-M-M-O-N-S. And people can look him up. He's a very famous black cowboy who is, um, he's just has amazing stories. What he would do is he was a Mustanger. And so there's a spot between the Rio Grande and the Oasis River, and it used to be called the Wild Horse Desert. And it's kind of that buffer zone, which was between Mexico and Texas, which, you know, now Texas owns, Mexico owned it at a time. And, you know, before then it was, you know, Spain and then obviously, you know, the Native Americans there before, but um, an interesting patch of land. But there was wild horses that ran through there. And there was a lot of Indians that were, uh, that had taken horses off of, uh, the land of the cowboys and stuff, and would kind of corral them out. Bob Lemons would go single-handedly with his Mustang, and they would go out and track all these wild horses for sometimes weeks at a time, and then slowly integrate themselves into the herd. And he would drink water just like the horses would from the stream. He would keep, like, if he did have any food, it was not cooking. There was no smell of humankind that he would try to keep around him. Um, and he would do it completely solo. And after a certain time, he would challenge the lead stallion to a battle with him and his horse. Would overtake the herd and eventually bring them back. And so here's this guy who would leave a signal of a handkerchief or something up in the tree. And, uh, you know, it's all true story. And... He would basically, you know, let a ranch know, let's say if he was getting their horses back, uh, that he'd be coming in. They'd open up a front gate and a back gate. He would haul through. They'd shut down the second gate whenever he was, you know, through with his horse. And then they'd capture and close the first gate behind so that all the horses would be there. And he did this and accrued a amazing amount of wealth from doing this. They called him the horse whisperer. There's a lot of chapters that have been written about him in various books. But um, I have a deep personal connection with Bob. Uh, my great-great-grandfather ended up ranching with him. And when Bob was in his later years, uh, he developed uh, some eye issues and eventually went blind. And so my family built a, a house that was about 100 yards away, and they put an old steel guide wire. And so between the two houses, and Bob would walk the wire and come over and have you know breakfast and lunch and dinner with my family. And uh, we just became really great friends. And in fact, in the uh, Great Depression era, Bob was the one who lent money to all these white cowboys and ranchers around the way. Well, a lot of them in this old school, horrible attitude, we were like, we're not going to pay back Bob. And my great grandfather and uh, great great grandfather went over to each of their houses with a little bit of uh muscle in the form of, uh, you know, shotguns at their side and said, you will pay back Bob and collected. And so he was single-handedly an air, a person who helped the Dimmick County area, uh, to be able to be, uh, well, it's actually the, 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 the county seat there, which is Carrizo Springs. He ended up being the person who, uh, kept it there. He, they were going to move it to a different area and he kept it the county seat. Bob did, uh, he founded a church there. 
And so, yeah, there's like all these amazing stories about Bob. Um, our family still has his rifle that he would take in the field with him. And uh, he actually carved the face of an Indian chief that he had befriended and stuff. So there's be pictures of a lot of artifacts and things that have miraculously survived through two house fires at our ranch. And there's just so much there. So eventually um, I'll finish up the book. Hopefully, maybe try to go to the Bob Bullock Museum, which is a Texas history museum, and maybe donate some of these items to be on display of Bob's um, and maybe kind of do a, a you know, a book, you know, event to, to, you know, whenever that comes out. So that's something that I'm doing. It's kind of a little different before I published books uh, by, for, and about Native American Indians and uh, the elders of the communities, kind of passing the torch, you know, when, when, Harvey Arden kind of gave that to me. He's like, you start doing this, George. And so we had started out with the book in uh, 2004, uh, Raising Awareness of Leonard Peltier. Uh, as I mentioned before, he's a Native American political prisoner. Um, there was an FBI, uh, there was a shootout in 1975, and uh, two FBI agents uh, sadly died, as well as one Native American guy uh, named Joe Stunts. And um, it was just a tragedy all around. Uh, there had been so much, you know, this devastation uh, on that reservation. A lot of the tribal elders had been killed. There was 67 um, murders that had happened of tribal leaders. And, you know, there was a very tumultuous time, you know, even the FBI, uh, or rather the, the prosecutor of that case has come forth and said, you know, Peltier did not get a fair trial and we need to see him free. And I've studied, you know, I know that some people hear that and they might, you know, have their quick, you know, attitudes. I've studied the case for 10 years. And if you look at all the evidence, you can see that it was clearly uh, you didn't have, you know, true justice, didn't have a fair trial. So we put together uh, a book um, for Leonard's case. It was a follow up to Leonard's first book. And then we kind of moved out of that kind of. You know, it's something that it's it's very touchy. You know, it's a lot of people. I mean, I, I come from a long line of you know, basically, you know, people who have service or, or, or law enforcement agents. And so I have a, a very, you know, m much respect for, for first responders and, and people of service. And um, so I, I felt like that was such a divisive topic. And so Harvey and I said, let's kind of move on to something else. So we went and interviewed a lady named Edna Gordon, who was, you know, in her late 80s. And uh, in the Seneca Nation, the women hold the power. And so they're like the chiefs. And so she was the clan. I did. I that did that. <laughs> so yeah, she Tell was the more. clan no. leader. Yeah. And uh, for the Hawk clan. And so she you know, had all this poetry and all these stories and things and that she wanted to put out um, before she passed. She wanted to leave something for, you know, her great, great, great grandchildren. And so we put together her first book and then did one called White Buffalo Teachings, which is the story of Chief Orville Looking Horse. Uh, he's the 19th generation keeper of the sacred White Buffalo calf pipe of the Lakota Nation, which is like the story of their kind of origin and, and their, you know, rituals and prayers. And so this calf pipe has been passed down uh, from for 19 generations, and he's the caretaker of it now. Um, and his book kind of talks about the, the teachings of the Lakota people. And so we did that. And I've done a lot of other kind of writing and some ghostwriting and some things in, in other people's books. And then, you know, it's something that I, I I, while I enjoyed that, I kind of wanted to branch out of, of something like that. And so the Bob Lemons book is one. And then I've done a lot of outdoor writing as well, too. Um, so that's been kind of something I'm more focused on now is kind of writing about my, you know, my joy and love of the outdoors and stewardship, conservation, and uh, a lot of hunting stories as well. 
Yeah, that's that's super cool. Just a lot of a lot of stuff people don't really think about on a day to day basis, but just amazing history and and stuff like that. Um, you bring up outdoor stories and hunting stories. And I think you know where my question is going, and that involves a, a certain melanistic deer that you have a story on, which I yes. think I haven't I haven't got the whole story on it. So I'm very interested to hear what you have to say on that. Oh, well, I'm, I'm happy to share it. Um, so the ranch in Central Texas, my grandfather and my father bought it in 1975. My grandfather ran uh, cattle there, uh, Santa Gertrudis, uh, kind of the King Ranch cattle. The King Ranch is a quite uh, famous ranch here in Texas and a really wonderful story there of, of their ranch. And so that particular uh, breed of cattle, he was... Uh, raising those out there. And he, my grandfather was in, um, he was in the Air Force. He was in the Defense Intelligence Agency. Um, he was a, a pilot and he actually was one of MacArthur's wingmen. So whenever MacArthur would fly places, uh, my grandfather and his best friend were the kind of pilots who would keep him safe. And um, yeah, he had just a, a wonderful life and legacy. And uh, when he passed away, um, I kind of ended up the, the ranch got a little bit divided. And um, so let's see, basically we, I think my, my father ended up with five eighths of the, the property, a little over a few hundred acres. And um, it kind of came unto me to uh, start managing it. And so uh, my wife, Meg and I went out and met with a wild game biologist and we started kind of doing surveys and looking around the property and kind of finding the, the best you know, the, the natural food sources and the browse species for, for white-tailed deer and for the turkey and all the, the native, uh, you know, animals there. And through one of our drives, uh, my wife caught a glimpse of this black deer. And she was describing it to me. And I was thinking to myself, that sounds like a melanistic deer. Because she's like, no, 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 it wasn't dark brown. It was like, it looked black. And so it's like... We've had, you know, some horses and some things that have gotten loose and some, you know, and cattle, all sorts of wildlife that are our neighbors that, you know, uh, you know, that have kind of knocked down fences over the years. So it's like in my mind is like, maybe it's maybe it's a horse or something like that. Because I was like, I just there's no way it's a melanistic you know, deer. We just I've heard they were around here, but I've never seen one in all my years there. And um, but she was like she was adamant that she's like, no, it's 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 a deer. So I was like, all right, it must be a melanistic, you know, deer. We didn't know if it was a buck or not at the time. And then um, didn't see it ever again that year. And then about a year later, I saw uh, that that same dark, you know, deer looking body run across the road at a distance. And I was like, I think we have a melanistic deer that is living uh, in and around this property. Um, and so by second sight, you know, when I finally saw it too, I was like, yep, you're right. You know, Meg, you, you saw exactly what, what, what you thought. And, uh, eventually after multiple years of hoping we'd catch it on camera or have a, you know, an experience when we were maybe in the blind or something, we can kind of positively identify it and get a picture that we could, you know, say, yep, look and show it to our wild game biologist or whatnot. Um, we had three pictures on a game trail camera. And of course it's the very top of its back at the very bottom of the photo, but it was, you know, almost black. And it, then, you, then I finally saw some antlers and uh, then you saw the third picture of it's running off into the woods, but I could tell it was at least an eight point, probably three and a half, four and a half years old. And so, you know, have, I have multiple cameras. I got them running year round and 
never caught it again that year, the following year again, nothing. So I figured it was just something that passed through. And uh, then one day, uh, my buddy Jacob Spradling uh, went out to the ranch and he was just going to go and watch the sunset and take some pictures. Um, it was during hunting season. And though he'd killed a whopper of a buck uh, before at the ranch, he wasn't there in, in hunting mode. He was just there to kind of hang out and just enjoy the afternoon. And he uh, took a camera up because I always keep a camera at the ranch. And I'm like, if anybody goes out there, it's like a super long zoom, uh, one piece body camera, but it can get out there and really reach out and take some pictures. And I was like, take it out there in case you guys see anything or, you know, something that's unique. So he texts me. He's like, I have some pictures for you. I saw it. I was like, you saw it? You saw Black Beauty? Because we had dubbed it Black Beauty. <laughs> oh, like, oh, of course. Great name. And, Great name. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, so I was like, you saw Black Beauty? He's like, not only did I see it, I got pictures of it. And I was like, send them. He's like, I got to get the SD card. I was like, hurry. I was like, you know, Mike would have done this by now. But so he ends up uh, sending me later on some pictures of just like the screen, the L LCD screen of the, of the camera, right? And sure enough, it was that. It was a pinpoint melanistic buck, which I, I should probably explain that real quick for people who don't know. Um, and, you know, I'll send you guys some pictures too if you want to drop it in. But melanism is, it basically, it's too much melanin melanin in the system so if you think about like you know an albino or albinoism like the lack there of the pigment like this is too much of a certain pigment and so it produces a very dark coloration and there are animals all around the world that are melanistic um, it just so happens to be that in texas there's basically a group of about seven or eight counties that have more melanistic animal or more melanistic deer white-tailed deer than the rest of the country combined and whether it's, you know, genetics, uh, as far as maybe the habitat, there's a lot of creek bed systems and things where they hide. And, and so, you know, through all these different things, uh, this area is more of a hotbed. They say 15 to 20% of white-tailed deer are abnormally dark in central Texas. Well, this one is, it was like straight black. It did have a little bit of white underneath its tail. That was the only bit, that, you know, the white tail, it, it, it had that, but very little. Um, and so we got a series of pictures and um, actually, I, I got to rewind that the first day he saw him, he didn't have the camera out. So then the second day is when he went out there. He told me he saw it in person very briefly. So the second day, he actually went out and got the pictures. And then he told me, he sent me the pictures. And so then you know, I looked at Meg. I was like, babe, do you think there's a chance we can? She's like, what time are we leaving tomorrow? And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> so we got our, our daughter, um, our youngest there at the time. And we got in the vehicle the next morning and we drove out there. And uh, I, I, we got a Polaris out there. And so um, I went ahead and, and drove out and kind of maybe about 1,500 yards or so from, from the blind and uh, kind of wanted to creep up there and be quiet, wanted to get in there real early. And so I walked up to the deer blind and turned the corner. I looked out and I saw two black shapes out in, in the field. And I was like, what? I pulled up my binoculars. There's two black cows. Oh. That had been from my neighbor's property. I thought we got rid of them and they had gotten back. Well, they came back on. So, you know, I did what any other stealth hunter would have done is I quietly got up in the blind and slid my stuff out and, you know, kind of unpacked it. And then I ran and I waved my hands at the <laughs> cows and tried to steer them off and get them out of there. And they ran off and then I you know, walked back and I was like, I just left my scent down everywhere. I ruined my chance of the hunt and I just regretted my decision immediately got up in the deer blind. And it was like the longest hour and a half, two hours of my life, knowing that 
this thing had been patterned two days in a row at the same spot and I had just blown my opportunity. And then, you know, dark starts to creep in and every single tree looks like the biggest melanistic buck you've ever seen and a tree branch. Oh, that one's a 45 point buck, you know, and then I eventually saw a tip of white coming out and out steps the buck. And I had thought it was going to be maybe at a hundred or 200 yards. Cause that's where you kind of seen it. So I had already done what, you know, any brilliant hunter would do is you already crank up the zoom on your scope. And, uh, so when I put my rifle out, all I could see was black. I couldn't tell what it was. And I was like, what lens cap, what did I do wrong? And then I realized that I zoomed in all the way, uh, zoomed out. And right then it had heard something behind it, probably some other deer coming out and it was about to bolt. So I just took a quick shot, ran into the woods. And then, you know, it's like that moment where you're like, did I hit it right where I wanted to? It all happened so fast. I didn't really have much time. And then I hear the crash and it, there was two like lanes. So it went out, went through one and never came through the other one. So, I had a pretty good feeling that it was down, gave it, you know, 35, 45 minutes to make sure and went down there and looked at it, picked it up and, and just, you know, kind of said a quick little prayer and thanks. And it occurred to me then this was on November 11th, which is Veterans Day. And every Veterans Day, I think about my grandfather and I thought about all the work that we had put into improving the land and increasing the habitat to try to, you know, have the best you know wildlife you know sanctuary for these animals in that sense and like you know really trying to um you know improve that land and here i was you know after my grandfather had passed and i'm looking at this animal and you know he had started this ranch and he always was very conservation minded and you know people have been hunting on that ranch for 10 years but i had never taken a deer on that ranch i had always given my tags out to family members because i would hunt in southwest texas and there's the deer usually 20% larger out there. And that's where I kind of got my meat for the freezer each year. And, you know, I really was kind of turning that corner to wanting to help other people get out in the woods. And so it was, uh, I hadn't taken one there and this was the first one there you know, on veterans day. So it was just like this culmination, having my, my wife there, having Meg there and our youngest, it was like just such a special uh, occasion. I mean, it's like, I couldn't have written that script any better than, than how it came out. So, of course, I had to tell that story and uh, Quality Deer Management Association, which is now National Deer Association, published that story and Quality Whitetails and a bunch of other magazines and online places it have since, you know, put that out. And wow. It was uh, kind of my foray back into writing, but in a different way, too. So then I started, you know, kind of chapter out more of my stories and things like that. But that by far was a once in a lifetime buck. And, you know, there's a couple other 10 pointers around there uh, that I've seen online, but um, there's a professor of Texas tech that said that uh, he called me to ask me about it. And, you know, said, if I have any, you know, information, do I have any more DNA? And I said, I, yeah, you know, I have, have some meat. So I gave him some, he ran some tests and different things that he, he, he wanted to learn more about uh, or rather the, the hide that I had given him at the time, I think. And so, um, you know, I have a, got a, a shoulder mount of it at, at the house and, um, yeah, so he says it's probably one of the top three it's ever been taken size-wise and point-wise in uh, North America, which, you know, it's a, the, the, the trophy for me was the experience and the meals I prepared with my wife and, and our kids. So that, that but it, I did have to do a, you know, a, a amount of it so I could, you know, have that because it was such a rare thing. So uh, that's not, I don't really care about the, the point and trophy thing and how big something is that, you know, that's not at the end of the day, can't eat the antlers, but uh it's something that I'd look at and I just remember my grandfather and all the work that Meg and I and our friends have, have had on that ranch and all the 
blood, sweat, and tears we put into it, and um, that was just quite a, a story as a reward, you know. Yeah, that is a fantastic yeah. story. That's that's one you'll remember forever. Yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Yeah, and, people are like, yeah, how are you going to top that? I was like, I, there's no topping that one, yeah. you know. It's like, <laughs> that, that was it, could, yeah, that was the top, yeah. yeah. I could hang up the rifle, but no, no. Well, now I'll just pick up the bow, you know. <laughs> oh, there you go, perfect. Yeah. And, yeah, that is, love everything about that except for the fact that you didn't do a full body mount on them. <laughs> you know, you know, I have been, I've been kicked and prodded and uh, yelled at by many people for not doing that. And um, it, it was, <laughs> my wife thought it might've been bad luck because whenever I was first starting to go ahead and, and skin the animal, I had it on a tripod at the time. We didn't have a lot of things. Now we have something that's much more substantial in a kind of like a skinning area. But at the time, it was one of those tripods you can kind of put up that's kind of rinky-dinky, you know, and I think it was a fairly cheap version of that. And as I was starting to, you know, uh, basically take, you know, it was kind of getting it ready for a shoulder mount, but I had thought about, do I do a full body mount? But I was gutting the deer and the tripod fell over. The deer hit me in the head, the tripod, <laughs> like I landed, like almost got knocked out. And like, there was my wife's like, are you sure this isn't bad luck? You know? And she's like, all the stuff you've done with native American Indians is like, is there anything there about, you know, right. <laughs> sacred animal that you might've yeah. killed? I'm like, now I'm like second guessing myself. I'm like, uh Oh, but it was a challenge. So even just getting the shoulder mount with what I had at my disposal, um, was, was a, as much as I could get done. But I think if I had that over to do again, then yeah, I would probably think about a full body mount and I'd pro- now I have the equipment and the setup to where that wouldn't be as much of a challenge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause like going through that story and know- knowing you had gotten the animal, I'm just thinking to myself, like how cool would that look if it's a full body mount, you like jumping over a banister in your house or something like that. It's just. That's cool. I was just thinking the kitchen table. The okay. Meg was oh, like, yeah. No, there you no. go. Just ha- hanging out, hanging out, having dinner with you every somewhere. night. Yeah. <laughs> we had it in our bedroom, and I was like, finally, like one day, I was like, would you like for me to move this into, uh, you know, my office? And she's like, you know, it's that'd be fine with me. And uh, I took it off the wall, and I was taking it out into my truck to drive to the office. And our youngest, I guess she's probably maybe five at the time, she's like, where are you taking my friend? You know, it's like, <laughs> I was like, it's okay, honey. I'm, I'm just here at the office. No, put it back. You got to put it back. It lives here. And I looked over my wife and she's just like, yes, it lives here. So when we moved to a new house, it, it's in a different room. It's no longer in the master bedroom. So there, it, it at least has a, a new home. And I think eventually I'll put it up on the wall at the ranch there and stuff sure. too. But uh, it's somewhere where I can see it every single day. And that's, mm-hmm. that's something I really like. So it was at the office for a bit, but I, you know, it's just something about having it at the house and being able to look at it and just kind of remember that. So mm-hmm. yeah, great, great I'd, memory. Yeah. I'd say that's a pretty good compromise. I think so too. I think so. Happy wife, right? Yeah. yeah. Happy wife, happy life. Those are those are definitely words to live by. It's good. Yeah. <laughs> she's been supportive of it all. So it's 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 been uh, she's a great woman. So it's been it's been uh, nice to be able to have that around. And you know, some people who I've had some friends they take an animal and they're like, no, you don't even bring the the antlers in the house. You know, sure. it might be in the garage or something. Uh-huh. So yeah, she mm-hmm. supports it. Yeah, you you were telling that story about 
you know, it being hunting season. And then she's like, so are we going hunting tomorrow? I was yeah. like, yeah, man, yes. respect for that girl. <laughs> yes. No, she, she's, you know, she loves the meals that we create. Uh, my buddy Matthew's a, a wonderful uh, uh, cook. So he's had some meals that, you know, maybe she wouldn't like before, but then like, he's just really good at it. So she's like, I really like this. I was like, I never thought you'd say you like javelina, but now that I know you do, we're going to go ahead and get a javelina next year. You know, it's not something we eat every night, but it's uh, the, the, our, all of our, our household palates have been expanding. So what does that uh, it's just, exactly taste like then, or the texture, is it a tougher texture? You know, it's, um, it's, it, it's, it's not a pig, you know, it, and mm -hmm. so it, it's not exactly the same, you know, the, the, the collared peccary is what we have down in the South here too. And, um, but it does have a similar uh, kind of texture of, of hog meat. A lot of times we'll do uh, things where, you know, it's kind of, you know, like tacos and stuff too, but it's a, it's a, a really delicious meat. It's, you know, kind of a, not as gamey as some people think it is, but we, we also are doing a lot of different sauces and things too. So that's kind of a little covered up, but you know, it's, I think about like kind of a, a medium sized sow. There's a, there are some comparables to, to something like that as far as a feral hog, you know, cause we have a ton of those here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I had my first experience with uh, with hog hunting earlier this year. It is so fun. It so is fun. Yeah, we where, we where were, were you hunting? Um, it was it was fairly close, maybe like an hour or so away from our store in the colony, Texas. Um, I can't remember the exact name of the town, but um, yeah, we had a we had a guy. It was actually we were down for this fishing university. And I had this whole set list of stuff that I had to capture while I was down there. And I look at the schedule. It's like, okay, we're supposed to finish up at 6 o'clock. And then the next thing that I had on my to-do list was hop on a plane. So it's like, wow, I think that gives me the perfect amount of time to go hog hunting because I've finished all my responsibilities and all I have left <laughs> is get on a plane. So I started. Yeah. So I started searching up hog hunting near where we were at and it happened to be like there was a place that was right in the town that we were staying at that the hotel was at so i call this guy up and, and it turned out that he was originally from holly minnesota which is like 30 minutes away from fargo and knew of shields and was like yes we're gonna get you in figure out the day time <coughs> excuse me and the, the place where we were supposed to meet, where he has the clients show up, was eight blocks away from my hotel. So I was like, this is this is just fate at this point. Yeah, like, I have to do this. So, yeah, got there, did, uh, did some thermal hog hunting, shot my first and my seventh hog. And it was, oh, it was a blast. Just like, you know, I'm used to the whole bow hunting thing where I sit and I wait and 99 out of 100 times you don't get anything but you go there and like he was giving us a whole rundown of like safety procedures and things to do and and there's like 200 hogs sitting out there while he's talking about this gun stuff and all i think in my head is i want to chase him i want to chase him and yeah it was it was quite the experience i i think i shot more shells than the whole cost of my hunt <laughs> and it was just, it's super fun. I definitely want to get back down there and do it again. Oh man. It, it is incredible. I mean, and they, they, 
you know, for those who aren't aware, too, in Texas, you can hunt them 24-7, 365, by all means, uh, for the most part. Um, and, yeah, they're such a problem. I mean, they cause billions of dollars in destruction every single year to farmlands, um, to, you know, people's even houses and stuff, too. I mean, we have, we have areas we've planted before, and you go out, you know, a day or two later, and everything has been rooted up. Um, and they, you know, they multiply pretty quick too. And so they're, they're a problem. They're an invasive species knocking out, you know, the, you know, animals, uh, you know, that, that are native there and the, the habitat and eat a lot of their food. So yeah, they are definitely targeted heavily because, you know, you kind of have to do as much as you can to try to manage them here. And it's still maybe not enough, but you got to make a dent. So that's kind of a rule on our ranches. Like you see a hog show up, um, that's, you got to shoot it and, um, you know, now it's with all the the cooking and things that we've been doing and like you know following like the hog book from jesse griffiths like that is no doubt there's always something we can do with them and you know if you kill one through seven like you know maybe you're not taking every single one of them and and cooking them because there's people who take you know dozens and dozens a night i mean shoot we got people helicopter hunting hunting and taking 200 a day you know and it's like that's just to try to manage the land um and some of those get donated to and things too but it's uh yeah, we, we try to eat every single one that we take and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll clean them up and give them to friends and stuff and let them cook and give them some recipes. And, you know, that's a, it's a great, you know, thing that it's nice supplementing all the other things you get to hunt because it is year round. So it's like, you never know when, you know, a, a day off can become a, you know, a, a hunt right then and there. So that's always exciting too. Yeah. That's the beautiful part about Texas right there. <laughs> One of the men, one of the men. Yes, yes, absolutely. So, <laughs> all right, George, well, thank you so much for your time. Um, you know, for people that want, want to follow along with your stories, maybe look into your books, can you can you give us the lowdown on how to how to find all your stuff out there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, right now I kind of have everything condensed in one spot, which is sonofablitch.com. Um, B-L-I-T-C-H.com. So son of a blitch.com. Uh, it has, you know, my, my mapping company has its own tube map my ranch. Uh, the publishing company is have you thought, um, spelled out. And then, um, you know, you can follow me on Instagram and at the son of a blitch. Um, I didn't beat the other guy to the, to, although we're friends now, the, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, so that one's at the son of a blitch. I think Facebook's George blitch, but if you type George blitch or son of a blitch, uh, you'll probably find me and, and I'll always be putting stuff, um, on the son of a blitch.com, uh, that I'm doing there too. I have, you know, links to all the podcast videos and stuff and, you know, ours coming up soon too. Um, and then if you want to listen to the podcast, you can go to, uh, just basically search son of a blitch for the son of a blitch podcast. And then, um, and YouTube it's at son of a blitch as well. And I always do a video version of the podcast cause I'll have a lot of videos and photos and stuff that I'll interlay. And then obviously I'll just take that audio and, and put it up on all the, you know, audio formats and stuff there too. But, uh, yeah. And, you know, really thank you guys so much for having me out today. I, I had a blast chatting with you and, uh, you know, Michael, I'm really excited to, uh, you know, have our, our podcast out and I'll definitely be sharing it with, you know, everyone. And I'll let you know when that comes out too. And I'm really looking forward to that and, and mountain lion and more, whatever the part two we dubbed. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, there we go we'll have to get that one out there too. I'm, I'm, I'm on the edge of my seat. Any kind of mountain lion stories always want to hear about. So that's, uh, that's exciting. So we'll have to do that again soon, but yeah, thank you guys so much. And thanks everyone for listening. Thank you so much. Appreciate you. all your all your stories and uh, all your wisdom too. Thank you very much. I appreciate that.
Thank you for listening to the Shields Outdoors podcast. Stay tuned for future segments and visit our social media pages, Shields Outdoors on Facebook and Instagram for daily updates.